Hello and welcome to the Quadcast. I am your host, John McAlevey. I thank you for carving out some time in your busy day to join us. While this podcast is mainly for and about folks like me who have had their lives affected by a spinal cord injury, it is really for anyone who just wants to be inspired. The Quadcast is truly your weekly 30 to 45 minute session of OT and PT for the soul. We've been away for a few weeks. By a show of hands, how many of you missed us? Oh, that's not too many, but rest assured we missed you. I was out in Medford, Long Island at the Northeast Training Facility for Canine Companions. The two weeks I spent there were life-changing to say the least. I met some of the most amazing people, made friendships that I hope will last a lifetime, and I returned back to New Jersey with the most adorable service dog. My new friend's name is Jochen, and he is a Golden Lab mix. His unique name is a combination of terrific donors Yolanda and Ken Dagger. Unfortunately, Yolanda passed away on October 20, 2019, following a long, brave battle with cancer. She loved canine companions, and that love of the organization and the super things that it does prompted her family to name a puppy in her memory. Initially, his name was just going to be Yo, but on second thought, they added her husband's name, Ken, as well, and thus Yokin was born into the canine companions family. Training for me lasted two weeks, and it was the longest I have been away from home since my college days. My five fellow trainees included three who were receiving their second service dog, and two who, like me, were getting their first. From the minute I got there, I felt a sense of family. Each of the trainees had an assistant with them, and they consisted of a brother, sister, husband, and two fathers. I had my sister Susan and nephew Charlie on the first and last day, and in between, four of the best childhood friends any man could ever ask for. I'm sure we are all aware of the cliché that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, I am living, breathing proof that you can teach an old man new tricks because that's exactly what the world-class trainers at Canine Companions did for this 54-year-old first-time dog owner. Me and my buddy are bonding, still trying to get to know each other better. He has been by my side wherever I go, and I mean wherever. Yoki has picked up things from the floor for me, turned on lights in the house, closed drawers, and will hopefully assist me as I return back to work at Kessler by endearing himself to newly injured patients that I visit often. I am also told that this handsome young man is a chick magnet, so perhaps he can even help this guy find a date one of these days. I will have much more on my canine companion's journey on a later podcast. I will even be joined by a couple of fellow trainees and a trainer. But doggone it, you're going to have to wait for that. In the business, we refer to this as a tease. As for today's program, I am thrilled to introduce you to Billy Price, our latest spinal cord injury survivor and thriver. Following an accident a few weeks into his freshman year in college, which left him paralyzed from the chest down, Billy hit rock bottom. But then he picked up the pieces and along with his childhood friend and now business partner has a thriving shoe company called Billy Footwear. The following paragraph is taken directly from his website, quote, Our company, Billy Footwear, is the brainchild of two Seattle locals, Darren Donaldson and Billy Price. 
Our focus is on shoes that embody universal design, meaning they both appeal to and work for everyone, end quote. After this public service announcement from the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation, Billy Price will be here to tell his story. And that, my friends, is next. Did you know that one in every 50 Americans is living with some form of paralysis? The Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation wants to change that. They are dedicated to discovering cures for spinal cord injury by funding innovative research and improving the quality of life and health for all people living with paralysis. Make a difference, change a life, and redefine what it means to live with paralysis by joining the Reeve Foundation today. For more information, visit ChristopherReeve.org. The Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation. Today's care, tomorrow's cure. And welcome back to the Quadcast. And it is my pleasure right now to welcome to the show my guest, Billy Price from Billy Footwear. Billy, thanks for coming on and welcome to the show. Boy, my pleasure. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Billy, usually what I like to do with my shows is because we know that the spinal cord injuries that we've all sustained do not in any way define who we were and who we are. I'd like to find out a little bit more about you before that. So where did you grow up and what were some things that you enjoyed doing in your youth? So I'm out of Seattle, Washington. Uh, I'm born and raised to live here. And uh, growing up, I was I was really a fiercely independent kid. I was very active in the outdoors, played a lot of sports. My dad had a work woodworking shop um, in the garage, and uh, I would you know, you'd oftentimes find me in there tinkering around and trying to put things together and using the saws and the drills and all that fun stuff. So, um, yeah, I played a lot of sports. Um, loved soccer, loved skiing, loved baseball, um, loved mountain biking, and. Uh, you know, I think mentally, I never really let that stuff go, really, to tell you the truth. That's a good way to be. I know that a lot of the folks that I speak with have uh, sports kind of define who they were, at least as a young person, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And speaking of sports, you'll get a kick out of this. My college roommate, I went to Providence College in Rhode Island. My college roommate actually played for the Seattle Supersonics back in the 92-93 season. And um you know, being a lifelong New Jersey guy, you know, we talk about having, oh, we have mountains in Western Jersey and up by the Poconos in the Pennsylvania, you see mountains. Well, when I flew out there, I, I found out what mountains were all about when we were coming in and you, you see the Cascades off in the distance and, of course, Mount Rainier. And I, I fell in love with the city. And, and uh, tell me some of your favorite parts. I know Seattle's beautiful. What are your favorite spots in the city? Oh, wow. Well, there's so many different things I can name. I mean, you just touched on the mountains, but you have the mountains, you have the, it does rain out here. I mean, it's green for a reason, <laughs> but, uh, you know, you got the, you got the evergreen, um, all the evergreen trees, the deciduous trees. It's just, uh, the big water, you got fresh water, you got salt water, you got the rivers. Um, you know, it, as I say, it does rain. So there are clouds, but when the sun comes out, you're like, oh my gosh, there's no other place I'd rather be. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's why they call it the Emerald City, right? Because it's so green all the time from all the rain. Yes, it's a very uh, it's a, it, it's it's an appropriate name. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> and of course, the other tourist trap is Pike's Place, right? Where they the flying fish all all around. You have to duck. I remember I bought a T-shirt, right? Yeah, so Pike Place Market. Yeah, they got the salmon. They're always throwing them. Uh, just you know, there's no reason. I mean. 
it's definitely a touristy area. You got to go down there. But I mean, they just sell fantastic stuff and having the flying fish. That's always fun to see. Yeah. And I also fell in love out there with the Dungeness crab, something we don't really get here on the East Coast. Right. Yeah. That crab comes up from uh, either down from Alaska or even out here in the Pacific Northwest. And I don't know, you just kind of get kind of spoiled. We do that every Christmas, um, crack crab. So it's always a a fun thing to look forward to. Absolutely. The differences between East and West Coast. And uh, it's nice that we could uh, we could kick those around. So, Billy, um, take us back now to October 9, 1996. What do you remember about the day that changed your life? Well, that was the day. Yeah, October 9th, 1996. Uh, I I woke up outside. So I was a freshman in college. Um, I was living in a fraternity on the University of Washington campus. And I woke up around three o'clock in the morning or so, laying on my back, just looking up at the looking up the entryway of the house, and I couldn't move. And it was it was very confusing to me. I, you know, I, I take that back. I mean, when I say I couldn't move, I could move my arms somewhat, but they were kind of up on my chest. I couldn't really get them off my chest, and I was moving my head around a little bit, but I, I certainly couldn't sit up. I could tip my head to see my my legs to see like identify where I was at, but it was it was just a very confusing moment, and. Um, I, I really just woke up screaming to help, going like, help me, help me. Like, what's going on? Like, help me, help me. Yeah. And then uh, somebody came out and they found me. And um, I asked them, you know, this is crazy. I asked them to pick me up and take me inside. And uh, they did. They kneeled down and like picked me up and carried me inside and put me on the couch. And the thing that's so crazy about it is, you know, in hindsight, looking back, um, you know, obviously that wasn't the thing to do. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you just kind of think of it as, you have a freshman in college outside of fraternity laying in the front yard, really, yeah. at three o'clock in the morning. Um, it just kind of paints this picture of a comical type, college type movie. Yeah, like Animal yeah. House or something, right? Exactly. Right. I mean, it'd be something that would be very, you know, akin to seeing an animal type, an animal house type movie. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it, it was not, that was not the case. It was just, um, you know, when I later found out I'd, I'd fallen out of a three-story window. It was a head-first fall to, to concrete, broke my neck, broke my back. And um, in that moment in time, I instantly became paralyzed. Oh, my goodness. So after they moved you, where were you taken and what did your doctors initially tell you? So I, I spent that night, after I was taken inside, I spent the night on, on the couch. And uh, no one really, I mean, I didn't know what was going on. And, you know, because it, it really just... It, the, the picture really was like you have this, you know, drunk kid sure. <laughs> out there, and he used to go inside and just like sleep it off. Mm-hmm. Well, when I woke up in the morning, um, I was still there and I really wasn't moving. And then people would come by and say, "Hey, Billy, you know, it's time to go to class." And I probably said something incoherent. And uh, that, that's when the, the pieces of the puzzle started to come together that something was something bigger was was happening. Something was wrong. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the guys went outside and he looked up and he saw that the the, the gutter on the second story um, was all bent and the window above it was completely open. Okay. And then when they came in, they asked the question if I had fallen out of the window. Hmm. And I have no idea what I said. Uh, I just remember them asking that question. But I do remember um, the next thing was the firefighters were – an ambulance was you know next to me with the backboard and they were lifting me out of the couch – 
on that backboard and then carting me into the hospital or carting me into the ambulance to go off the hospital. Mm -hmm. And then really like the next scene I see myself in is laying on a hospital table with a big light shining down and then a bunch of commotion with doctors and nurses going around. And that's really when I asked the question, I'm like, you know what? Because at that point, it really felt like a bad dream that I wasn't waking up from. Mm -hmm. And I asked the question, like, what's going on? Like, why, why am I here? Why am I like, what's happening? And uh, that's when the doctor said bluntly, you know, last night you broke your neck, you know, you fell out of a window, you broke your neck, you broke your back, you have a spinal cord injury. And as I'm trying to process that, then they drop the real bomb when they say, and you'll never walk again. Oh, gosh, <laughs> that's that's unbelievable. So, yeah. So in that instant that, you know, just my, my world just came crumbling down because all I could think about was that stuff we were talking about earlier, all like the the childhood growing up, that fiercely independent kid. And now just no sense of understanding of what's happening now, Yeah, let alone even possibly wrap my arms around what the future could look like. Yeah. And, you know, everybody thinks about like physically, how it, it changes you physically. And obviously it does because we can't do the things that we used to do. But mentally, I mean, to have someone tell you that, people have no idea how that registers in your head. And, and as it sounds as a freshman in college for someone to walk in and tell you that you're never going to walk again, just bluntly, I'm sure that just gutted you at the time. It did. It really did. I mean, cause you think of it too, like when you go off to college, I mean, you're stepping into this new space, this new sense of independence, mm. this new, I mean, the world is really just whatever you're going to make it like, oh my gosh, I finally graduated from high school. Like I'm finally like getting out of the, the, you know, the parents' house, like here I'm living on my own with like a bunch of people, my own age and the same interests. And I'm yeah. taking classes I'm enjoying. And, and that just came to a halt in a hurry. Absolutely. How important Billy were uh, family and friends to your recovery. And do you have any good stories that stick out in your mind any more than others? You know, I do. I do. I mean, so when I was, when I was in the hospital, I was in the hospital for about five and a half months. And, uh, you know, it's crazy at the time that was considered the fast track. Yeah. <laughs> now, like, like people get injured now. I mean, they're out of the hospital in two to two months. I mean, it, I just, yeah, that just that. kind of crazy me. If that, right. I mean, that's, that's a whole different type of topic, but mm -hmm. You know, I mean, so being in the hospital, like there were just lots of friends and family that came in and visited me. And, um, you know, they, they just really offered up some really encouragement, just like very supportive. And um, but, you know, mentally, I just wasn't there. You know, I just I just I, I just went to a dark place because I, all I could think about was I was in denial. All I could think about was how life used to be and how now my life just felt completely sidetracked. Yeah. And, uh, I, I remember there was, um, I remember there was a moment that my, my mom, she came in and knelt down next to my hospital bed. And, uh, as moms do, she kind of sugarcoated it and said, they sure you know, do. it's going to be, okay. it's going to be okay. And, uh, I just lashed back. I said, you know what? It's not going to be okay. Cause it is not worth living if you can't walk. Wow. And I just crushed her. I really did. I mean, I saw the look on her face and she's just holding on to any sliver of hope. And I just took it away from her. Oh, and uh, it, it, it was it was a situation where I think it hurt me more than it hurt her. And it hurt her a lot. Mm. And it, it, real, it made me realize how dark of a spot that I was in. And then it snapped me out of that spot and made me just kind of like, you know what? I need to recognize 
that I'm one still alive, two, um, my brain's still intact, and three, I'm just starting this life. Mm -hmm. So might as well focus on what I still got instead of, you know, continue to focus on what I lost. Yeah. And that's where the family and the friends encouragement came in because they built this culture around me that allowed me to grow. I mean, it still took action on my part, but, you know, I don't know. I was able to move forward inch by inch. Well, it sounds like from the darkest of spots that you could be, uh, a bright light was at the end of that tunnel because after you, um, after you said that, you sort of picked up your britches and, and moved on. But hey, listen, you're entitled to that. We're all entitled to that. This life that we're living is not uh, all beach balls and, uh, you know, whipped cream. It's, it's, it's a tough time, but you're just coming to grips with it. And I could see how you would want to say that, but I'm glad that you were able to, um, you know, pick up the pieces, so to say, and, and sort of move forward with that and that your, your friends and family were there to, to help you get through it. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and, and I would add to that, that, you know, as soon as you make that change in your mind, like, okay, great, we're going to move forward. It's not like it all of a sudden becomes easy. I mean, it's just like, that's, I, I would say that's really when the grind starts. Yeah. Because if you're staying in the depression, it's like, you're just not moving at all. You're not doing anything. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, there's no action attached to it. Sure. But if you want to make a difference and try to get better and try to like make something of this, oh my gosh, that's really where the trial starts. Yeah. Because you not only do you have to, like work at it, but two, you have to continually keep yourself mentally from backsliding, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. keep your head above the water. So, sure. um, speaking of which, where did you rehab and what was the new mindset now as the strenuous PT and OT is about to begin? <laughs> uh, I did my rehab at the university of Washington. So at the university of Washington medical center, which is just off campus. And, uh, yeah, the regiment, so now it's like, all right, I'm going to do everything I can to make a go of this, um, to rehab, but still <laughs> the stubbornness of me mentally, I'm like, okay, this week I'm going to work on my biceps next week. I'm going to work on my triceps next week. I'm going to work on my hands and get those fingers working next time I'm work on my abs. Just thinking through, it's like some methodical yeah. type rehab is if like you're trying to put your knee back together or something. Right. And just with that central nervous system, it doesn't work that way. I mean, it just, it's a bit of an unknown of what's going to come back and what's not. And you can only work the muscles that the nerves are firing. And uh, that, again, is a mental, a mental challenge to try mm -hmm. to, you know, Absolutely. And you, back. you and I had a chance to speak before um, I hit the record button about, um, you know, when people find out that someone has a spinal cord injury, um, you know, they don't really know. They just want to lend all the support that, support that they can to the family and to the, the person that's in the bed. Um, but it, it seems that the number one question everybody wants to know is, you know, is Billy going to walk? Oh, is Billy going to walk? And they don't necessarily take into the account, you know, is Billy or is John going to be able to dress himself? And is he going to be able to feed himself and brush his teeth and all of that kind of stuff? And so, on, on, a lot of times, occupational therapy sort of gets the second-class citizen, don't you think? Very much so. Yeah, I mean that's I mean occupational therapy, and that that, that that's the whole premise of getting to your day. Like how to read? How to, how am I going to write my name? <laughs> it's like let's say I go to the bank, and you're like, all right, now you got to write your check. Like, are you not going to get your money because you can't write your name? Mm. Like, how are you going to address that? Or just like you go out to a restaurant, like how are you going to hold a fork? How are you going to feed yourself? Yeah. 
I mean, that, that stuff just, Oh my gosh. I mean, that's when it gets real. Like, wow. Yep. How am I going to rush teeth? I'm just, uh, I'm going to wash my face. Yeah. Just you don't like want to be dependent on other people for that kind no. of stuff, you know, and nobody can brush your teeth the way you, you know how to brush your teeth, right. Or comb your yeah. hair in a certain way. You want to look a certain way. And you know, it's, it's tough to ask people for help. I know I still have problems asking for help. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So now, Billy, you find yourself, you're a freshman in college. You've just had this life-altering accident happen. What is the plan for your life now once therapy is coming to an end? Well, you know, I don't know if I necessarily had a plan. It was just more like, let's take, let's just get back on the horse and see where this horse goes. And uh, what that what form that took was going back to school. And so after I, after I graduated, I suppose, from the hospital, um, I moved home for a short spell. And then that fall quarter, I actually moved back into the fraternity. <laughs> I, I ended unbelievable. Up, I ended up joining the one house on campus that didn't have stairs in front. <laughs> how, uh, how ironic. Anyway, so th- th- there was a situation where on the first floor, there was an, a room that um, got remodeled. And adjacent to it, there was a, another space that was plumbed to... You know, so we put it in the bathroom, so that worked well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I went to co- I went to college to study mechanical engineering. I had a two week dent into that major, yeah. <laughs> so just kind of picked it up where I left off, and ended up graduating in five years. I was on the five year plan. It worked out pretty well. That's unbelievable. And now that uh, now that you've graduated, um, did you have sort of the same ideas with what you were going to do with your life that you did before you had your spinal cord injury? Well, I, I, I don't know if I necessarily, you know, I don't know. I, cause that, that was kind of a part of my life. I never really had a fully formed plan, right? but I will say that when I was in college, I had a couple of job internships. Um, I interned at Boeing for a couple of summers okay. and after I graduated, I went to a, I went to a job fair, a disability job fair actually. And, um, the federal aviation administration had a booth and I figured since I worked at Boeing and kind of heard good things about the FAA. I figured like, all right, well, I'll throw my name in that hat and ended up getting a job with the FAA where I worked for 16 years in mechanical engineering. So the pieces of the puzzle really came together on that one. Wow. 16 years you worked there? I did. Yeah. 16 years. Oh my gosh. That's unbelievable. So then um, from there, did you always sort of have, um, you know, with that mechanical engineering background, did you always sort of think, you know, I can create something here and um, I can see a need? I, I'm, I'm, uh, I think of the old proverb here that says, um, where is it? I have it written down here. Um, Necessity is the mother of all invention. That, that comes to mind. And does that sort of, you know, is that the sort of mindset that brings us around to Billy Footwear and, and the company right. that you sort of created? <laughs> Yeah. So I, I love that proverb for one thing. Um, but you know, the, the way the shoe thing came about that, that's, that's a really unique story. Um, really. I, so I'm one of two co-founders. It's myself and Darren Donaldson yes. and Darren and I, uh, we grew up together. We rode the bus together, played baseball together, did a lot of things early on. And, um, our paths is kind of separated and, just kind of just as time goes and uh, but we got reacquainted he he invited me over to his house for a kind of a, a holiday party um in december of 2011 and uh, since we hadn't really seen each other we were catching up 
And he was telling me about a shoe project that he was working on. He had, he had personally challenged himself to do something of which he had never done before. So he liked shoes. He went out and took a class and figured out what it takes to make a shoe and got contacts in place to find out where to manufacture a shoe. So he had his own thing going and he was telling me about this. And that's when I shared it with him. I'm like, you know, you know what, Darren, I mean, since being in a wheelchair, that's the one thing that I've yet to be able to do independent. I figured out how to dress myself. Like I got the right pants to be able to put on by myself. I got the shirts and all that, get in my chair, in and out of bed. But the one part I can't do is the shoes. And I said, you know what? I bet if we put a zipper in a shoe where it goes around the outside and around the toe, where the whole upper can fold over, you could drop your foot in unobstructed. And me with my limited hand dexterity, I could have a loop on a zipper that would go around the toe and it'd go up and I could, I could take back that independence. And he was really intrigued by it. So he made a drawing, he made a prototype. And when he, when he gifted it to me, I was 36 at the time and I put that on and it was the first time in literally half a lifetime that I was taking back that independence. I broke my neck at 18. I put my shoes on again at 36 and the moment was so incredibly special. We knew we had to do something about it. Let me we knew we had to. Yeah. It's just crazy. It, just, it was just totally crazy. Uh, so how, how long did it take from that first conversation that you had? Um, he was telling you that he was into the whole shoe thing and finding out how they're made. And you telling him, that's amazing. I can't get them on myself. And, you know, the whole zipper thing. And then he put it together. What is the time frame between the first conversation to the time that you used the loop and zippered the shoe on your foot? So that's a great point. And that's a point that not many people ask me. That took five years. Five years. Oh, wait a second. No, it's 2011. Mm-hmm. That's when the conversation was. And I put my shoes on again in May of 2015. So about four years. Wow. That's unbelievable. But listen, you had nothing but time, right? You had been, uh, you hadn't been able to get the shoes on yourself. And so the fact that uh, they were putting this together, oh my gosh. So that was, that was one of my other questions was the, was, was the prototype for you? Like, so you were the guinea pig trying it on for the first time, right? I was the guinea pig. Yeah. It was the inspiration behind that design. And I was the guinea pig. And, but the thing was, when we put it on, it's like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. We have to share this. And we didn't really know necessarily what that meant, but we did know that if we were going to share it and launch it with the planet or the world, whatever it may be, right. um, we knew that in order to survive really as a business, to have a business, we couldn't just say like, all right, if you're a C56 quadriplegic, just like Billy, this is the shoe for you, Yeah, which I suppose is a true statement. However, you know, to survive as a business, we knew we couldn't go niche like that. We had to be able to create something that could be on the shelves of major retailers, something that everyone would want to like one, enjoy, but two, be successful with. Mm-hmm. So that's where the whole concept of universal design came in. Yeah. Cause that's some, that's a space that I was familiar with on the mechanical engineering side, you know, um, in architecture and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So we just wanted to apply it to fashion. We want to take fashion and function and smash those two together and create something that was more of a universal design, something that was inclusive that would work for everybody and just make a go of it. And people thought we were crazy. Like, you can't do that. (laughs) And we kind of pushed back on like, wait a second, you can't say we can't do that. Like everything in this world that's ever been done at one time wasn't done before. So yeah, guess what? we're doing it. 
Yeah, totally. Right? I must tell and, you, uh, Billy, with as somebody with little to no use of my arms, hands, and fingers, putting on shoes has been a massive chore for me um, ever since my accident. Uh, I have to tell you that what I do is I have a friend um, in high school who I used to fool around with in class, I tell you. He's a podiatrist now. And he was able to find me like the world's largest shoehorn. So I just grabbed this long shoehorn that comes almost all the way up uh, to me sitting down and I'm able to wedge my foot uh, into a sneaker, into another shoe with the shoehorn. But um, it doesn't take, I mean, it takes me forever to do. And another thing that I that I completely have given up on, and uh, since August 19, uh, 1992, I have not worn a pair of socks. So I can't get those on myself and I don't want to ask anybody. But uh, with all that in mind, do you know what percentage of your business uh, comes directly from the disabled community and which is from the able-bodied? Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, I'm really excited to say it's about 50-50. Really? Yeah. Because you think about it, like my, so like I'm, I'm a parent now, I'm a parent of a three-year-old and uh, anything we can do to get that kiddo out the door faster <laughs> is a win for all of us. So the shoes make it really easy for him to be able to put his shoes on. Mm. I mean, just feel, I mean, zippers are intuitive. They're, I mean, it just, it's just super easy for him to do. So it's easy for the parent to get him started and then it's easy for him to execute. So the kids business has been tremendously successful and that's, and that's really where we started. We made the foundation as a business, we made the foundation with kids. And then, um, given that success, we were able to expand into smaller sizes in a toddler and then expanded into the adult category. And then we started going wider. And then, you know, along the line, people said like, Hey, did these work great with AFOs? <laughs> and, uh, I had to go to Google and, you know, do a, do a search to figure out what an AFO was and then yeah. looking at like, gosh, rigid plastic, like, man, you're struggling with the same challenge I have, like shoving your foot into a shoe. Sure. Yeah. Like unzip that thing, drop your AFO in there. No sweat. And, uh, and then we've just had a lot of great success with word of mouth, um, both from the parents on the convenience side. And then also from just the end user going like, great, these things work with my braces. And, uh, I don't know. It's just been kind of off the races through the years. Billy, where can my audience most easily find your brand? Please share with us your company's, you know, website, your social media platforms. Yeah. So um, our website is billyfootwear.com. And when you go to billyfootwear.com there, you can buy from there direct. But also um, if you're looking to buy something maybe more local in your area or maybe you're in a different country, um, there is a tab right there that says store locations. And when you look at the store locations, you'll notice there's dots all over the planet. We got a bunch up in Canada, a bunch in Europe, um, you know, Australia. Uh, it's just really, really exciting. And then on social media, um, on social, we're at Billy Footwear. And that goes for Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, um, boy, all of them, YouTube, Pinterest, the whole gamut. All the stuff that the kids are on, right? All the stuff the kids are on that we as older generation are trying to keep up with all those different channels. Exactly. Everything is trending. <laughs> I tell you, I'm a fossil now into my mid fifties. So I have to ask my niece and nephew to come over and show me how to work everything. It's so funny. Mm, that's not the truth. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Billy, how about when you first launched, how did the marketing go down? Did you have to bring marketing people in to get this thing out there? Did you go to, um, you know, like local fairs and how did you initially get Billy footwear off the ground that way? 
Well, the first go was we did a Kickstarter campaign because one, we needed revenue to be able to fuel this machine. But two, it was a great way to leverage um, just our, our ongoing, our existing network to be able to you know, get the word out. So Kickstarter was a great place for us to start. And then beyond that, what we did was we did a lot of giveaways. We did weekly giveaways through Facebook. And it was one of the situations where um, to apply or to like enter into the giveaway, it was a situation where you had to not only like the post, but you had to follow us and then you had to refer two more people. So that kind of built up the audience. Mm -hmm. And that just, you know, over and over and over that slowly organically, you know, really kind of fueled the foundation um, the foundation of initial support. And then we got really fortunate. Um, it was in September of 2018, because at that point we were on the shelves of Nordstrom as well as in the store Zappos. Wow. And there was a mom that went to the Mall of America and uh, she went to the Nordstrom at the Mall of America and had just a real successful experience and went home and made a Facebook post about it saying, you know, moms out there that you know, need a very convenient shoe. This is the one for you. It's worked great for my daughter. And it was the type of post that there wasn't really a whole lot to it, but it was a nice, authentic, you know, honest post. And this one got legs for whatever reason. It got shared so many times. Within three days time, it was shared 280,000 times. Wow. Now lifetime, it's been shared over 560,000 times. Oh, gosh. Thank and did, did you ever track down that woman to to give her a hearty thank you? Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> like so, we I've met her in person. Uh, we've kept in touch. Um, it's just just an amazing, incredible family. And uh, but it's crazy. I mean that that post that post really put us on the map. I mean, people found out about us. People were reaching out from all over the globe wanting to have these things. And the crazy thing was at that time we didn't have a website. All we had was our, well, we did have a website, but we were pointing all the traffic to both Nordstrom and Zappos. So everything that they had in stock sold out overnight. Mm. And uh, and at that time, Darren and I were still working our day jobs. I mean, this was a side hustle up to that point. Oh, and because of that visibility and because of that exposure, it really allowed us, it kind of forced us to step away from our day jobs to start doing this thing all day. Because yeah. up to that point, we did our day jobs from nine to five and then we work on shoes from five till midnight and the weekends. And then jokingly we say we do this full time, but then it was really like from nine in the morning till midnight, um, just like completely doubling down on shoes. Yeah. Then you must have had to really kick it up a notch uh, as far as uh, having them produced. I mean, did you go from a small like warehouse to now like a huge finding a huge place that could mass produce? <laughs> well, okay. So there's, there's two things there. One is the manufacturing side of it. Um, that was taken out, that, that was, that was taken care of. Um, our manufacturing is overseas. And, uh, we, at that time we had already secured just a wonderful sourcing partner to help us on the manufacturing front. But on the warehousing side, on the state side, <laughs> we moved from my parents' basement <laughs> into Darren's garage, into a nice warehouse. It was about 2000 square feet. And it was funny when we moved in that warehouse, that was 2000 square feet. We were like, oh my gosh, we'll never fill this up. Mm -hmm. And within two months time, we were busting at the seams. Mm -hmm. And then we cut a hole in the wall and moved in the next warehouse going like, oh my gosh, we'll never fill this up again. Two months time, busting at the seams. Oh. And then we had to expand into another spot again, saying the same silly statement. And then again, busting at the seams. So we're now really excited 
because this June, we're moving into a 25,000 square foot facility and it'll really allow us so many opportunities to be able to expand the lines and do that much more for the customers. That's unbelievable. And you're still out in the Seattle area? Still out in the Seattle area. So if you're familiar with this area, we're about 30 minutes south of Seattle in uh, an area called Kent. Okay. Yeah, I've heard of that. Absolutely. Billy, where do you come up with your, you know, different styles and, um, you know, where do you, where do you guys come up with those, um, decide which ones are going to be next? Like, what will be the next it shoe? Do you have folks that are in, um, you know, design and, and whatnot that help you in that respect? It, it comes from a, a few areas. One, uh, one, it comes from customer feedback. So the customer actually reaching out going like, have you considered this? Like, for example, have you considered winter boots? That was a big one. And that's what we launched this year. Winter boots was, boy, there's so many people requesting that. And then, uh, so that's fantastic feedback. And then also like feedback from the customer saying, um, have you considered laces in the shoe for adjustability? Have you considered removable inserts? And just so to be able to take that out and someone has an orthotic. So that was great feedback. And that was incorporated into the brand because of those customers. But really, the, the mastermind, the brain behind all these designs, it really comes from Darren. Darren was the one that you know, started with the original concept. I threw the idea at him with the zipper going around the toe, and uh, he took with it and ran with it. And now we have a design team, which is super exciting because we can do that much more. But also, it's a matter of working with, um, working with the retail partners, really, because uh, Zappos, they offer a lot of input, and uh, Nordstrom has as well. And then also, you know, some of the other big players, like, for example, Target, um, we were able to get into Target this last year Wow. Um, as kind of, um, you know, like a starting shoe. Mm -hmm. And uh, we get input from their team as well. So just really, really cool developments through the years. And uh, there's a lot of fun things we have coming in the future. Like, for example, like customers are really excited about like more of an expanded wits collection, which we'll be able to meet this year. And then the big request that we haven't tackled quite yet, but we definitely will, is uh, cowboy boots. Cowboy <laughs> I, boots. Cowboy boots. Darren, Darren says he's got an idea in mind and how to execute on execute on that. And uh, I'm really excited to see it, and I'm sure the customers will be too. Yeah, and this is for children, men, women, all of the above, right? You cater to everybody. We do. We do. I mean, oftentimes we have to start... We have to start in one cat. We can't do them all at once. Right. I mean, just unfortunately, I mean, just with the cash flow and whatnot, it's just, it, it's just, it's just challenging. I mean, we're, we're not Nike yet, right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, so, so we are kind of constrained by the cash flow, but we've got to start somewhere. So every time, every time we launch a new brand for, for folks who are out there listening, every time we launch a, a new category, I should say, um, and it's not all income, all encompassing, uh, just be patient with us. We'll get there. We just need to start somewhere. It must be there must be something in the water out in the Pacific Northwest because Nike got their start and they're based out there in uh, Oregon, and now uh, Billy Footwear in the Seattle area. It's something in the water out there, right? It's not just grunge rock and roll. I, you know, it's it's funny you say that. I I I had no idea that there was so much shoe stuff happening in this area. Like Brooks Running, for example, that's another. And, uh, and then, but also Nordstrom and they were founded out here and they were, they started with shoes. Like that's, that's what they originally based their business on. So shoes, and there's so many manufacturing sourcing partners out in this area too. And I don't know, I, I had no idea, but, uh, we definitely have 
kind of we're born in the right area, I suppose, and we're staying in the right area. That's terrific. How about endorsement wise, Billy? Do you do you have you had, you know, any I don't know if you call them stars or folks like that that you've you've gone after to endorse the product or do you don't even need to do that? We, we haven't done that yet. Uh, we, we do have a lot of just ambassadors that, that have just been spectacular customers through the years. And those ambassadors already have spectacular followings. I will say that we we ended up being on the, the big screen um, earlier this year. Um, the main character, McKenna Grace, in uh, the recently um, released Ghostbusters movie, she was wearing our red high tops. And... Uh, just crazy. I mean, it was a matter of like a, the, the team went in to go see that movie on opening day. And every time we saw our shoes up on screen, we, we all like kind of silently cheered. It was just such a surreal experience. Um, that's so that awesome. I would say that's, I'd say that was the biggest, biggest endorsement that uh, we, we've received thus far. Yeah. And they didn't tell you, you just saw it on your own. You're like, Hey, that's our shoe. That's our shoe. Well, we knew a little bit about it. There was a, a a producer that reached out to us years before. And actually, it was before we even in our warehouse. We were still operating out of Darren's kitchen at that time. Oh, there was someone that reached out saying, hey, you know, we'd love to be able to feature your shoes like in this upcoming movie. And they didn't share what movie. I mean, it could have been just like a little college project or whatever. And then later on, they're like, oh, it's going to be the new Ghostbusters. And naturally, all of our all, all of our just mouths has hit the floor going, what? <laughs> we have but, arrived, but then, Darren, right? We have arrived. But then it was a matter of, um, it, it just, they were finished with the movie long before it actually showed up on screen just mm-hmm. because of COVID and social distancing. They, they weren't able to really release it. So when it finally did, we were just really tickled. Sure. And I have two, last two for me. First one, do you get any um, feedback from, rehabilitation centers, folks that, um, you know, where you rehabbed it at, at uh, UW and I was, uh, I was here at Kessler Institute in New Jersey, you know, some of the bigger ones, the Miami project, the one out Craig out in uh, Colorado, any feedback from those folks or, or trying to get your shoes in for some of the patients there? Yeah, big time. Um, but well beyond, well beyond the places that I did my rehab. Um, it's it's just been remarkable how we, we can provide a shoe to the mass market that can be on the shelves of the regular mom and pop store, or big box stores, and yet also in orthotic clinics. And it's just, it, it really, it's so exciting and heartwarming for us because it, it really defines inclusion. I mean, like every single of these businesses I mean, it's a radically different business, a big box store to a small clinic to a, you know, a high-end retail store. And all three of them are having success with the same shoe. And the customer is too. And it's just, it's just really, it's been really, really cool. But the thing is too, like where where I did my rehab, um, they're obviously very supportive (laughs) about the brand and, uh, so many patients, um, actually come in and, uh, they end up being, they end up wearing the Billy shoes and, uh, I don't know. It's just the the therapists there really promote it. Not because they know me. I mean, that's not the case, but they, they promote it because it's a functional shoe that really works for their patients. Yeah, it works. At the end of the day, if you can get your shoe on, I mean, like I said, 
I have to use this crazy shoehorn. If I, I'm going to have to get, get online and get myself a pair of Billy footwear shoes because it's still hard. And, and again, we don't want to ask for help. So your, your, uh, universal design seems to be really working for not only the able, but for the disabled community as well. Yeah, very much so. Awesome. Very much. Awesome. And the last question that I have for you, Billy, it's one that I pose to all of my guests who I have on who have also had a spinal cord injury. And it comes from, it's a funny story. I was sitting in the hallway um, in my doctor's office with a buddy of mine. This is a crazy story. One of my best buds that I went to high school with, unfortunately, he also had a devastating spinal cord injury. He was hurt kneeboarding uh, out in a a lake a couple years ago. So the two of us are waiting there. He's in his wheelchair and I'm, you know, sitting in the chair. And I said, hey, T, I said, if I could snap my fingers right now and you would be completely able-bodied again, what's the first thing you would do? So he's looking at me like, and I can see the smoke coming out of his ears as he's trying to think about what's up to say. And then I hear from behind me, I would go out in my garage and work on woodworking again, like I used to do. And then I heard a woman say, I would go out into my, in, into my garden and take care of my flowers again. And people just started chiming in. And I, I thought, geez, I must've been talking really loud, but um, it became something that when I launched the podcast, I thought, you know what, I'm going to use this as a question because everybody has an answer to that. So I, I ask you, Billy Price, if I could slap, snap my fingers right now, what is the first thing that you would do? Wow. You know, I, I, I didn't have, I didn't have an answer for that, but it's funny. I don't have any, well, let me, let me, let me rephrase that. I didn't have an answer like already pre-planned as if I thought about this a lot, but for whatever reason, when you were saying that and posing that question, the first thing that came to mind is I would kick a soccer ball. Awesome. That's great. I could tell you some other ones I heard. Uh, one of my friends up here who who was injured on the football field playing for Rutgers uh, is probably about 6'2", 250 pounder, and he got hurt running down on special teams. He told me, John, I would open the front door and run butt naked down my street. So I had one of those. I had another guy tell me he would book a hotel room and sleep in a bed and not have anybody have to move him three times a night uh, and get in and out of the shower on his own, uh, take three and four showers, stand in front of the toilet and do his business without having a problem. So I've had a lot of different ones, but uh, kicking a soccer ball is is something that that I probably would have done myself. Mm, yeah. I don't know why that, I don't know why that came to mind. I mean, just really kicking the life out of a soccer ball and just slam that thing towards the goal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a great answer. And as I said, everybody has their own. And um, usually what I do is I send my questions ahead of time. But as I was explaining to you, I was out uh, on Long Island in the process of getting a service dog and I completely slipped my mind. I didn't uh, I didn't have uh, my sheets here with the questions to send ahead of you. But uh, you handled them. You handled them quite well, I have to tell you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's it's always better to be spontaneous, I believe. Yeah, organic, right? Spont- spontaneity is uh, is something that works out in life and in podcasts. And well, Billy Price from Billy Footwear, I can't thank you enough for coming on the quadcast. It has been a pleasure speaking with you. I've been reading about you for a number of months now, and uh, you're you're an inspiration to me. And I know my audience will feel the same way when they have a chance to uh, to listen to the podcast when I post it later this week. Well, thank you so much. I mean, thank you for your kind words. It it really was a pleasure and uh, just such a very, very enjoyable conversation. And conversations like this are exactly why I began recording this podcast.
The aim is to tell stories about people who have had terrible things happen to them, yet they pick up the pieces and persevere. Billy Price, along with his childhood friend and now business partner Darren Donaldson, saw a void and they filled it. Thank you again for coming on, Billy, and for providing such a shining example of how anything can be done following a spinal cord injury. Please be sure to join us next week as Chad Hymas will be my guest. The gentleman whom the Wall Street Journal named as one of the 10 most inspirational people in the world will be here. Wow, this is big news for the quadcast. Thanks again to my mixer, Chris Parapesco at Harbor Picture Company in New York City. And until next time, I am John McAlevey, now joined by my adorable new sidekick, Jokin, saying, we thank you for your time. Good boy. I don't care.